Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So this is kind of the season where our culture, maybe our religion, um, where kind of there's an expectation of happy celebrations and celebrating and um, gatherings. I don't know about you, but lots of food, lots and lots of food, lots of gift giving, gift receiving. And there's really um, a focus from the culture on um, rushing around, it feels like, buying stuff, wrapping stuff, a lot of doing, a lot of externalized awareness it's pulling us into a lot of activity which is fine and it's fun a lot of it is really fun and I enjoy a lot of it um, but it, this is also a good time to pause and contemplate the internal gifts in our practice and in our lives the internal space which I think originally when we got the whole concept of Christmas we were supposed to do, I guess, <laughs> and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa, they're really about a spiritual reflecting in and finding the light within. Um, but living in the culture that we're living in, it's just uh, brought down to a lot of shopping, you know. <laughs> And so I think we all come here to really pause and contemplate um, the gifts of our practice. I like to see the gifts of our practice like little shiny gifts under the tree or the menorah, um, wrapped in beautiful colored paper, because they are really beautiful. One gift is mindfulness, which you're all practicing in very individual and unique ways and very common ways. Another is just present, present awareness, spacious awareness, so beautiful. Another is love, loving kindness, metta, compassion practices, uh, right action, wholesome action, a desire not to do harm, no harm. Um, all these are beautiful, beautiful gifts of practice, gifts from the teachings of the Buddha. One of his core teachings, um, of course, is I teach only one thing. And the only thing is suffering and the end of suffering. And if we can um, take in that teaching, it's a radical gift. A radical gift that can change the ver our very being of who we are. Um, and the suffering in Pali is called dukkha which is also translated as dissatisfaction or stress. So I teach only one thing, dissatisfaction, the end of dissatisfaction. I teach only one thing, stress, the end of stress. Who would like that under their Hanukkah tree, for a better word, right? I mean, it's a <laughs> fabulous gift. Um, but when we're in the culture that we're in, so rushed and pressured to produce and deadlines and so many demands, it's hard to stay open and receptive to the practice, to have these attitudes and cultivate our practice and our awareness. 
And we're confronted with a paradox of sorts. And I see this in my own life, and tell me if this is true for you, that um, there's, what is happiness? What is satisfaction? What is being at ease? And sometimes I'm doing a lot of stuff that does not bring those conditions, that brings the opposite. And that's where the mindfulness and the present moment awareness comes in so we can create this beautiful pause and redirect. Most of us are deeply, deeply interested in the condition of our heart and mind. And whether we're experiencing a happiness, an ease, a calm, just the satisfaction, a sense of well-being. And when we're not, we really notice it. And, and we come to places like this. And we also notice how quickly we get distracted, forget, and get caught up in business, goal-oriented things and tasks, running from here to there, getting caught in the fast pace. So we lose the focus of what the Buddha taught. And we lose the cultivation for a spacious awareness, for presence in the moment, for grounding in the body and pausing and um, seeing the wisdom, the truth of what's here. It goes out the window like that. So uh, this is a good time today to reconnect and deepen our aspiration to stay connected to spacious awareness, present moment awareness, heart and mind, citta, and the wisdom of the practice. And to reconnect and set that intention to place this at the center of our lives, at the center of our existence. And to notice, to wake up out of that trance of doing, 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 to notice where we are when it isn't present with loving kindness. So Tara Brock has some great teachings, and I know many of you listen to Tara Brock and read her books. Um, and she asks, how can we stay open and receptive to these gifts? And what are the qualities of mind that we cultivate daily? And the Buddha teaches that these, he calls these the factors of awakening, the mental capacities, and it's called inner wealth. How do we have this inner wealth? I've been contemplating this little poem um, by a Rinpoche, and I, I can't pronounce his name, so I won't. Rest in natural great peace, this exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thoughts, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, which is illusion. How do we rest in great, natural peace? And there's a poem that I like on this. Let's see if I can find it. Walk Slowly by Dana Falls. It only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still. And just like that, something in you settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. 
the harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper and you remember again that life isn't a relay race, that waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as you forget, catch yourself charging forward that many times you can make the choice to stop, to breathe, to be and walk slowly into the mystery. It's really an invitation. It's called walk slowly. Sort of like a teacher thing. Run, don't, right? Stop running, walk. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, so what are the conditions to cultivate this awareness towards awakening? And uh, Tara Brock talks about a few of them that I'll share with you. Um, and the first one is uh, the three attitudes, she calls it. Openness and relax. Relax and open. Interested, investigate, would be the second one. Uh, friendly and kind is the third. And she talks about the combination of these three qualities puts us on the path to awakening. It doesn't matter if you're meditating 30 minutes, she says, or 40 or 45, or doing a loving kindness, you know, whatever your practice is, when we bring in these qualities, we are on the path of awakening. We light up the path. So uh, Chogen Trumpa says, um, we are a bunch of tense muscles protecting our experience. And um, Thich Nhat Hanh also talks a lot about stopping in the moment and seeing where the tension is, if you're feeling it. A lot of times we're running around, we don't know that we're tense. We don't know that we've tightened around something and we're clinging around something. So um, our being contracts and we lose contact with the natural state, natural open awareness. Awareness, this is from Tara Brock, is wide open, no need to control. It's interested, awake, and interested in life, and there's a wakeful restfulness that we can all have. I think this week I had this experience about this contract and relax. Everybody had that moment this week where you felt yourself so tensing around something? Sometimes we're tensing because we don't like it. Sometimes we're tensing because we're rejecting it. We don't want it. We're rejecting it. Sometimes we're tensing because we want it to be different, right? It's this dissatisfaction, and the body really tenses up. And when we tense, we're, we're reactive. We have suffering, and we lose the ground of being. We lose that spacious quality. So some of you are nodding your head, yeah, I remember that moment. One of my moments was after a long day of work, and for some reason in my office, the later it gets, the colder it gets. So it was cold and late, and I was working with a family, a mom with a young teen, and um, I had some worries and fear for the teen. And I was trying to talk to the mom, and the mom was giving me that look like, I'm not listening, you know. 
and I could feel my body, my whole being just tighten. Mm -hmm. Like it was a big no, I don't like this. I don't want this. I'm rejecting it. And then I could feel the suffering. I could feel my clinging to wanting it to be different. I want the mom to do what I want. Or I want the child to do what I want. And I just felt this tight muscular tension throughout the body. And um, it would be nice to uh, have the mindfulness practice or the awareness practice to, in that moment, have a noticing the body, where the body is, just that. Noticing where the body is with some compassion. And Thich Nhat Hanh has a great meditation for that that I'll share with you. And I rewrote it for Thich Nhat Hanh. He doesn't know. Don't tell him. <laughs> I rewrote it a little because, um, and I invite you to write his med rewrite his meditations. This one works for my job <laughs> when it's late at night and cold and you're not being listened to. But you have your variety, right? We all have it. So, um, so close your eyes and, and I'll share it with you. It's a simple one. Um, what can we do when we notice that we're tight, we're not open, and tension and rejecting has taken over? Breathing in, I come back to my body. Breathing out, I care and I'm interested. Breathing in, I notice the tension in my body. Breathing out, I soften and extend kindness to this tension. <clears throat> Breathing in, I release this tension as best as I can. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I'm aware of my eyes. Breathing out, I smile to my eyes. Breathing in, I'm aware of my heart. Breathing out, I smile to my heart. You can open your eyes when you're ready. That didn't happen that night. I'll admit. There were some great brownies in the break room and that helped a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> But my aspiration would be to remember to breathe in, breathe out, and feel, act, be interested in this being. I'm interested in what's happening in here. I'm bringing my awareness into this inner landscape to know, to notice, and then to have compassion, to give compassion to what's happening in this moment. No control. Right? No control. I don't have control over mothers and children. <laughs> right? I don't have control over the well-being. No control. And my heart is there, but no control. So open, relax, interest, investigation, compassion. You see how she's 
this is um, a great path right here, awakening factors. And um, I'll say a couple of more things about relax. Joel was saying to me, well, you know, you really have to talk about difficult family members because everybody I talk to is talking <laughs> about difficult family members. So whatever we're talking about um, here, um, you can apply it relationally. It's internally within and with others. And this is from Gregory Kramer. Um, when you encounter another person, it's normal for the mind to become excited or for the body to tense. When you notice this, you can invoke the same sense of inviting ease. Pause for a moment and give yourself time to relax, to let go. Gradually, the heart can become settled and peaceful, even as you are engaged with others. Time and time again, as you practice, Remind yourself to relax. So internally and externally. And um, he talks about being on retreat in Korea with his teacher, Mija. And she was working with um, the uh, meditation instructions, pause, relax, internally. And she said she found inside this oppressive power. Have you ever felt oppressive power of tension in the form of a very critical mind or an evaluating mind that just won't stop evaluating you and making you a project. So um, she said she felt this oppressive power and she continued, I concentrated on my body and repeated pause, relax, pause, relax in order to let my sorrow and agony flow out of my body. Um, now the water pressure of my tears went down and the tension of my body eased. The image of an emotional moment that was blocked points to something important. These reactions are impersonal. They are not initiated by a self. Um, it is not me exercising control over my life, but me controlled by a lifetime of conditioning. So um, the investigation and awareness is to know this is not so personal, this thing we do, but it's a lifetime of conditioning that does it to us. It's doing us. And as we bring, relax, investigate, and kindness, we're unpacking it. We're undoing the conditioning. We're untying the knot. I think it was Mark Coleman in his book talks about uh, give, doing a retreat, giving a retreat, and this woman came up to him, and her job uh, was like an account bookkeeper for a large company, and um, she was saying if she finds one mistake in her work, her mind tells her how dare she do this work? She shouldn't be taking money. If she can't do simple math, why is she managing books for? businesses, you know, it just goes right at her. And um, so this is where the investigation comes in, because if we could know that this is conditioning and not us, this is the conditioning of thousands of years of the body-mind, culture, society, your biology, evolutionary theory is all there. 
if we can know that, then we can release the small mind that's like this into big mind, right? A big mind, a spacious mind. So it's remembering, it's not me exercising control over my life, but me controlled by a lifetime of conditioning. This is the conditioning, this, where the small self lives, very contracted and very small. So the um, poem that's been like a koan for me is, on, let me find it, is the Leonard Cohn poem, and it's a song too. Um, so let's see if I can find where I wrote it. Ring the bell that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's been my mantra. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So become interested in that crack. Someone said something so interesting to me. It's rolling in my head. I can't get it out. He said... Um, I'm living my life out loud. I said, what, what do you mean, I'm living my life out loud? He said, I'm so unconscious a lot of the time, and I don't see stuff that when I notice something, I have to tell it out loud so I can really notice it. That's what I'm doing to change, right, to, to really become aware. So I'm living it out loud right now so this unconscious trance doesn't come in and take me out. And... Um, he said, that's what I need to do. He lost uh, 200 pounds. And he said, that's what I've got to do to maintain it, because the pull is so, right, to go unconscious. So, um, Christina Feldman tells the story about this. So this is where our investigation and compassion meet. Let's see. She, she, she says in this book, um, we, have to convul, uh, co we have to cultivate a compassionate heart with the investigation because we mostly walk around with an alienated heart. And you just notice your alienated heart like that late night moment and what with left alone we tend to um, go between a self-obsession me 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 what's wrong and a self-neglect not really nurturing and um, again working with the practice so um, we need to find a search for truth that springs from love and nonviolence. The search for truth that springs from love. And um, we, we, we're too absorbed in the fiction of our brokenness and incompleteness. This is from her. So she tells this really, uh, this interesting story to illustrate. Let's see if I can find it. A young woman spoke of the crisis she faced after 10 years of raising her severely autistic son alone. 
After the initial shock of his diagnosis, she dedicated her time and attention to her son so she could ease his isolation and suffering. One morning, she said, she woke up and felt she simply had no more to give. She began approaching her son with reluctance, going to bed at night with resentment, regretting the loss of the simple joys she saw in the lives of other mothers. She condemned herself for her failure to give her heart totally to her son. As the self-blame hardened, she found herself drowning in an ocean of rejection. She felt there was nowhere to go. Her heart had turned to stone. Finally, she was able to simply embrace the suffering of the moment. She felt herself holding all the resentment, all the bitterness and loss in deep stillness. The judgment, the blame, and anger were all threads of the same fabric of pain, all deserving compassion. She began to sense that as Thomas Burton, the Christian mystic, suggested, true prayer begins in the moments when all doors are closed and our hearts have turned to stone. When we have exhausted all our strategies, told all the stories of blame, had our defenses overwhelmed, then it seems we can begin to open, to soften, and to sense the compassion is needed. So true prayer begins in the moment when all doors are closed and our hearts have turned to stone. When we have exhausted all our strategies, told all our stories of blame, had our defenses overwhelmed, then it seems we can begin to open. So in small ways and big ways, looking for the crack through investigation and kindness, looking for that moment, that edge, right? And beginning to see it as conditions and not so much as you, right? It's causes and conditions that we're bumping up against, not so much a me story. So I'll say a few more and then we'll do a little guided meditation. Yeah. This is uh, some advice from Thich Nhat Hanh. To use our mindfulness to acknowledge our suffering, to know that moment of suffering, we talk about it a lot in here, and to say to it, I know you are there, and I'm here for you. We need to embrace suffering tenderly, like a mother embracing and comforting her crying baby. When the mother is fully attentive to the crying baby, the baby calms down. Don't fight or struggle with suffering. Recognize and embrace it like the crying baby. I know you. I know you're there, and I am here for you. In this way, you will nourish happiness. So we're going to align ourselves with this state of awareness and move from small self to a larger sense of being. Another um, 
piece of advice on this is Joseph Goldstein. And um, he says, every time I think there is a problem, I simply decide there isn't one. I've learned to ask myself, is this a problem? Yep. Right? <laughs> and Tara says, well, how do I experience this if it's not a problem? Who am I if there is no problem right now? Right? And she refers to um, the story of Ananda, which I've heard many times in variations. And Ananda was a relative of the Buddha and very close to the Buddha. It was like an assistant and a scribe and very devoted. And after um, the Buddha died, um, there was a council of followers, and these were the so-called enlightened people. And Ananta didn't think he was enlightened. So the story goes that he wasn't quite invited. Um, but before the council, and there are many variations to this story, so um, he decided he would stay up all night and practice until he got enlightened. He wouldn't stop, just kind of that, like the Buddha story. And there he is practicing away, and nothing much is going on. So he decided to let go and rest and lean back into his pillow. And the minute he let go to rest, what happened? Right. So every time I think there is a problem, I decide there isn't one. You know, it's that letting go quality that we work with in, in Buddhism. And um, think about some issues in your life that you're defining as problems. Harm, you know, when there's real harm, we need to do something. I'm not referring to that, right? There are times where we have to do something because there's harm. But there are other times where we're defining things as problems. Are they really problems? I was looking over old Dharma talks and... Um, I, was, I had written down this time where I was hiking at the nature center, about 4 o'clock or so, 3, 4, having a wonderful time, and I got to the gate, and I figured out that I was locked in. Oh. <laughs> and, um, you know, what's a problem, right? And I just watched my mind do all this stuff. You know, by the time my mind was finished, there was... Um, there was a gorilla in the nature center who's going to come and eat me and a leopard. You know, I mean, it was really like it was getting big, you know. And I was going to spend the night and have no food and it would be cold. I was just this whole thing and, you know, about being locked in. Like my mind just fabricated fast. And it just took like one phone call. And about five minutes, somebody came and unlocked the gate, you know. And then, right, oh, and I had the critic, well, you weren't watching the time, you know. But a lot of our problems, are fabrications. They're not really problems. They're just us wanting, creating stories and wanting to control some things. Yeah. So I love Joseph Goldstein's thing. Is this really a problem? Right. And who am I if there isn't a problem? Who am I? Maybe I'm spacious awareness. So lastly, we want to bring love 
And this is from Tara Brock. To the place that's difficult. The radical freedom is bringing loving en energy to what's with us. And it requires intentionality in this. And we want to kind of sometimes uproot that critical little egoic small self by pouring it, filling it with love, loving kindness, metta for ourselves. So um, we, she really um, talks about even a visual of pouring the loving kindness over us, you know, taking a bath or a shower in loving kindness to these places. Because uh, when the mind meets the heart, we become unified. You know, the mind has to drop into the heart. And we do that through loving kindness. So when you're investigating and something goes wrong, like you get locked in the nature center, for instance, right? Um, the <coughs> conditioning could be the critic or fear or contraction, right? And this is a moment for compassion and loving kindness. And this is some of the Buddha teachings that we bring love. We bring warmth. So we'll end with a small meditation. And this is from um, Mark Coleman. So closing your eyes and finding a comfortable posture or soft gaze and see if you could visualize yourself just a few blocks from here at the beach and notice the image of the beach where we can see this vast open sky maybe it's blue maybe it's gray but it's open and vast and spacious And just for this moment, see if you can visualize your mind as vast, open, spacious, like that beautiful sky. And notice how awareness, as we visualize this beautiful sky, we could feel that space in the mind. And if a thought comes in, as it's likely to do, seeing that thought as a cloud passing through the spacious sky. And if you've had a critical thought today, or a judgment, an evaluation, see if you can land that thought in a cloud passing through your sky. And notice if you're bringing up that critical thought or judgment, see if your body got tight or your perspective got narrow. And now bring your image back to the vastness of that sky at the beach. Endless, beautiful, big sky. And how this sky can hold 
that cloud-like thought. It holds it, but doesn't stick with it. And it's not perturbed by it, and it's not changed. The sky is still the sky. And see if you can sense and feel the spacious sky all around the cloud. This is the space of awareness. And even if there's a storm or lots of clouds, it only temporarily obscures the openness of the sky. And notice that these clouds can drift away slowly and they're still the vast sky, the vast sky of your mind, <coughs> the space of your mind is as vast as the sky. Now take that vastness in your mind, that's the sky, and see if you can notice the space in front of you, behind you, above you, below you, feeling the space of the room. This is the space of an open, vast mind. will remember some of these qualities in our day-to-day full catastrophe or small catastrophe. I'll end with this poem from Dana Fouts, just for now. You can close your eyes and sink into the poem. Just for now, without asking how, Let yourself sink into stillness. Just for now, lay down the weight you so patiently bear upon your shoulders. Feel the earth receive you and the infinite expanse of the sky. Let the sky grow even wider as your awareness reaches up to meet it. Just for now, allow the wave of breath to enliven your experience. Breathe out whatever blocks you from the truth. 
just for now, be boundless, free, with awakened energy tingling in your hands, your feet. Drink in the possibility of being who and what you really are. So fully alive that the world looks different, newly born and vibrant, just for now. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.